Howdy, howdy. Howdy. And welcome to... But it was aliens. Ah. The extraterrestrial comedy podcast where we have probed into possible alien visitations to our planet on about 99 occasions. And we're about to make that 100. Sort of. But before we get to that... I'm Kevin the Grey, and alongside me is Granville Moonwalker. Pew, pew, pew! What up? On this show, we jump straight into the action like Granville at the 80s bar after four apple teenies. So without further ado, we begin today's events in Ooh. 1947. Apple teenies. Quite fruity. You know you love Quite an apple teeny. You know what? I've never had one before in my life. What? What is it? A martini with... Apple? I have no idea. Kind of want to know now. Kind of want to try one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's going to be your new favourite drink. When we next go out, I'm going to get an apple teeny. <laughs> well, I'll do is I'll go to the bar and go, Excuse me, mate. Can I get an apple teeny? I'd like an apple teeny. I'd like an apple teeny, please. On the rocks. With extra apple. June the 27th, 1947, Harold Dahl was by the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island collecting logs on a conservation mission. There he is, picking up logs, when suddenly there are six donut-shaped UFOs hovering above Dahl's boat. Suddenly, one of them began falling. Sure enough, the donut fell 1,500 feet, accompanied by metallic debris all over the sky. Take cover! The debris missed Dahl, but struck the arm of Dahl's son, who was also on the boat. But that wasn't all. Unfortunately, the debris also struck Dahl's dog, whom was also in the boat. The dog did not survive the impact. <sighs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> oh, that wasn't a laugh. You were. <laughs> your head was bobbing with a smile on your face. <laughs> it is now. Is this doll related to the other famous doll? Roll? Mm. Uh, I didn't see anything to suggest that. Unusual surname, though. And, um. How does he know that they were 1,500 feet above him? Approximately. How does he know the approximation? He's a clever guy. Are you just guessing? <laughs> what gives you that impression? <laughs> okay, so... We might get into the whys of, or the hows of how he knows that in how, a little bit. How big is the, the debris that's falling? We're talking like loads of little rocks. Oh, okay. And how big is their boat? I think it's like a little... It's, he's literally on a conservation mission, so it's like a little wooden boat where they're all sitting in. It's not like a big yacht or anything like that. Okay. So he takes cover, leaves his son and the dog. <laughs> or does the son get struck in the moment that Dahl's going for him? So I didn't say that he took cover. I just shouted, "Take cover!" Oh, okay, fair enough. To be because fair, that's what you do. <laughs> if loads of shit is coming towards you, you'd surely try and cover yourself. They might not have had cover. Absolutely. 
Fair dues. So it struck his arm. Does he still have use of his arm? To my knowledge, it? yes. He's got a little bit of a gash, but that's it. The dog, however, wasn't so lucky. The dog carked it. Dahl had a camera and managed to take some photos of these events, which he showed to his supervisor, Fred Crisman. Crisman called bullshit, so went back to the scene to prove Dahl wrong. Whilst there, would you freaking believe it, Crisman too saw a donut-shaped object in the sky. Crisman no longer called bullshit. The following morning, Dahl received a knock on his door. Rat-a-tat-tat, who be that? As Dahl opened his door, he was greeted by a man in a black suit. Baby. Smartly dressed visitor comes knocking at your door. Yep. Hmm. No book in hand. What year were the portable cameras invented? Do I look like an encyclopedia of cameras? <laughs> I thought considering this is 1947 and the fact that he said he had a camera I he, thought you might have done a bit of research and looked into no, when cameras no, no. were actually I've only focused, only focused upon the important stuff so like, you've, you've like his, dodged like his guess as to how fast the object was moving <laughs> no but remember he was a conservationist so he was equipped to sort of take photos and whatnot, examine the environment collect studies, collect specimens to study rather so if that was the case, why would Fred immediately call bullshit? If I... I am in an inquisitive mood today. <laughs> if I just gave you a photo of a random UFO in the middle of the sky, without any sort of precursing event, and this hadn't been on the news or nothing, you're probably not going to believe me at first look. If you'd have done that or in second 1947, look. I probably would have. Now, also... Actually, hold on. If somebody else done that to me in 1947, I would have believed it. If it was you, I'd have called bullshit. Today, I would still call bullshit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that's today. But, but you're not the sceptical one, though. Of course not. A man in a black suit arrives at his door. Absolutely. A mib. He has a fucking mib turn up. He's got a mib. Does Mib sound slightly sexual to you? <laughs> it does. Quite like Why? it. <laughs> How do you reckon this Mib knocked the door? Tapped it gently. Just a <laughs> rat a tap tap. Or do you reckon it was a <clears throat> I reckon it was one massive FUD. <laughs> he mibbed the door. Somehow. Dahl and the mysterious man end up at a local diner where the man was able to tell Dahl's story of what Dahl had seen and experienced back to Dahl almost as if he had been there himself. The man finished the story by saying to Dahl, What I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. This is told by author Gray Barker in his 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Dahl was also told that bad things would happen if he discussed what he had witnessed. Bad things will happen. So, bad things would happen if he discussed what he witnessed. Mm -hmm. This Mib is saying that he knows more than... Dahl thinks yep. he knows. Yeah. 
Well, shouldn't he already know that Dahl has told someone? Maybe he does. So is this a case of if you tell anyone else or if you tell anybody? Who knows, I but mean, let me ask you this. Empty threats have, by the Mibs. So have far. you ever met Dahl's supervisor? I've never met Dahl. Maybe they whacked them both. <laughs> they mibbed them. They got mibbed. Do we have Dahl's actual account of this conversation? Because clearly he has told somebody. So this is Dahl's account as relayed to somebody who's then written it down. Okay. Do we know what happened to Dahl? Did he die of natural causes? <laughs> because if he didn't, again, empty threats by the Mibs. So I don't believe that we do know what happened to Dahl. He just <laughs> vanishes. Could have changed his name. Or maybe he got Mibbed. Mib. The government were already... The government... The Mibs were already monitoring maybe. what was going on. Mm-hmm. And probably had a couple of Mibs on the scene. <laughs> it just sounds funny. Perhaps, yeah. And that way they knew about this guy and what happened. Potentially, what? yeah. Yeah. There were Mibs and Hayden. So as you've mentioned Mibs... <laughs> undercover mib you may have worked it out through the above account and also because of the episode title that today we are covering the men in black ah 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 now obviously me and mooney here used to work for the mib but also we didn't and don't tell anyone otherwise but we aren't recounting our own experiences for now today we are going over the most popular visits by the men in black on that note, three days before this event, the Kenneth Arnold sighting we covered in episode 47 had taken place. If Arnold ushered in the UFO craze as we covered, and Dahl introduced Men in Black, then in 1953, Albert K. Bender took the Mibs mainstream. Why is the word Mib so funny now? <laughs> He's putting me about it. <laughs> Sounds like a group. Uh, <laughs> they are. Made, he made the Mibs mainstream. <laughs> like they were an un- an underground band. <laughs> now they're at the big time. They're playing at the Apollo, playing at Madison Square Garden. There's loads of subliminal messaging in their music. Letting us know where all the other UFO like what ones were real UFO sightings yeah. and what happened to Dahl where ships have crash landed and where you can find some alien tech why they call him Bender the real work of the MIB <laughs> the serious stuff Barker's book covers Albert Bender too we shall refer to this man as Bender Bender was responsible for a magazine called Space Review. Bender was born in 1921 and worked in a factory, but was always drawn to the paranormal. In 1953, Bender reported a supernatural encounter and his wife, Betty Rose, who he married in 1954, also reported having been visited by supernatural entities. Of course she did. She's a Betty. What's wrong with Betty's? How many Bettys have we covered? One. Uh, excuse me? There's been about four, maybe five. 
Name more than one. There was um, Barney and Betty. One. Then there was the other Betty. (laughs) (laughs) Still one. There was Betty Fingy and and that Betty. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're not here. Betty and Betty else. (laughs) Betty else. Betty's mate. (laughs) But we aren't here to cover Bender's whole life story today. Bender founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952, the very first major civilian UFO club. It was a success to begin with, accompanied by his Space Review magazine in 1953, but the closure came suddenly in 1953. Why? Here's a picture of Bender, just for reference, Moona, as you consider what led to the club being shut down. I'm glad you have given a picture because all I could think of every time you said Bender was Bender from Futurama. The robot. And just imagined him going around like starting UFO clubs and stuff like that. Not outside the realm's possibilities. So you have quite a suave looking gentleman here. He is quite suave looking, isn't he? He's uh, in a black suit, white shirt, black bow tie. So he's clearly not a mib. Well, um, Mibs could wear bow ties. Nah. What do they do when they get married? Suspenders. And nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> just them or the whole ceremony. The whole ceremony. <laughs> Every single Mib there is just in suspenders with their Mibs out. Why fronts and suspenders? Okay, they've got underwear. <laughs> and uh, he's got some glasses on. There's nothing underwards about him. There's nothing no, it looks out like of the quite realms of unassuming chap. To be honest, you could take that picture today and he wouldn't look out of place. Yeah, yeah. It's just a picture from someone today and you're just black. No, no. This is this is the bender. So space review. Yeah, the magazine. Does he review films or does, space news? Like what comets are passing yeah, that and kind stuff of thing. like that. Okay. He's sort of driven towards the paranormal. Yeah, but space review and the paranormal. Well, sightings. Yeah, but did he change the name of the magazine and go into a different direction, more in line with the paranormal, where you're essentially going to get more things happen? I mean, you might have one or two comets pass by. If this is, was it a weekly magazine or a monthly? Mm, I did look this up, but I didn't write it down. Okay. I think well, it was um, a bit of both. It was bi-weekly. more regular at some point. Yeah, well, at some points, it didn't have a traditional schedule. But I'm not 100 percent sure now because I didn't write it down. It might have just been something he started on the side and then just kind of waned. I think, it, yeah, I think it was an interest for him that he'd put efforts into when he could. But obviously, it's a lot of work to produce your own magazine. Yep. But why did it all suddenly close in 1953? Maybe he just couldn't be bothered anymore. (laughs) So that's your theory, he couldn't Mm -hmm. be bothered. You don't think he was shut down? Nah. So, the club shut down in March 1953 because Bender had been approached by three men in black. They mibbed him. (laughs) There's a bit of an escalation here, I warn you. The Mibs visited Bender and communicated via telepathy. They gave Bender a metal disc and some instructions. 
They also shared the origin of UFOs with Bender, but afterwards, Bender became unwell and could not eat for three days. Bender tried to share what he had been told following the visit, but the Mibs refused permission to do so. Bender's co-workers reported that Bender seemed genuinely scared from this time and begun experiencing regular headaches. Bender described that the Mibs floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats. The faces were not clearly perceivable. He's clearly bullshitting, isn't he? I think he just couldn't be bothered with the magazine anymore. So like, I need a legit reason to shut this down without coming across like a lazy bastard. So you think he put this story out there as an excuse to shut down? Yep. Well. That I do. To the point of him seeming scared. Could have possibly just been a work just to get himself not off of work but to stop people asking questions yeah and to kind of vouch for him feigning headaches here and there Mm mhm going home putting his feet up relaxing for a bit and then thinking in two weeks this will all blow over and then go back to work as normal so Bender didn't speak of these events for nine years people didn't know why he became so scared and shut down I think Space Review, meanwhile, shut down in 1954. Bender would later speculate that the men were from a different planet as they told him that their human form was an illusion. The MIB would capture humans and use their bodies as disguises. So what would happen to the humans that they captured? So would they kill them and then use their bodies or just... Or just take over them? Take over And if that's the case, what happens to their consciousness? Well, what do you think happens to it? I'm asking the question. Yeah. (laughs) I'm asking you to answer your question. I think if that does happen, then the consciousness is probably pushed to the back. So it's asleep, so they're kind of like in a coma, but not a waking coma. Mm. I think that's probably more likely than killing them and taking their bodies, because... Bodies are going to start showing up, aren't they? That's true. So what happened after the nine years for him to suddenly talk about it? Don't know. He like, just suddenly came just... out with it. Maybe he stopped feeling quite so scared that he was being watched. I reckon it got to the point where he just said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get this bullshit story out there. You ain't keeping me quiet. I'm only saying that because I said he made it up before. But no, I reckon if this did happen... Mm-hmm. And he was legit scared for nine years. I yep. think after nine years, he may have just thought, fuck, living like this. Whatever happens, happens. He snapped. And then he realised that um, limit. the Mibs like, are full of empty threats. Unless <laughs> he disappeared after. <laughs> so he disappeared after. <laughs> that was Bender. Now, let's move forward. Wait, 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 wait. Disappeared. Gone. He didn't disappear. Last we heard of him. That's not the last we heard of it's him. It's the last we heard of him. That's the last that you've written of him. <laughs> Remember, this was the 50s. It wasn't like 2020 where you could track him on the internet. Ah, that's true. Just Trace goes cold. Ah, okay. He might have plotted his escape then. He might have thought, right, do you know what? Fuck these mibs. 
I'm going to plot. Maybe he spent nine years burrowing out of his house like an <laughs> underground tunnel. He sure shanked redemption <laughs> yeah. himself. To somewhere else. He grew a beard. <laughs> nine years of beard. <laughs> so he couldn't be he spotted. He grew a bearded house. <laughs> he put that news out there and then into the bunker he went, crawled through, popped up in Bolivia or somewhere. He is now free. There are the bones of Bender somewhere in Bolivia. <laughs> All right, let's move forward to 1964. Jim Templeton, a fireman in Cumbria, England, was on Burr Marsh taking a photograph of his daughter. Jim's wife was there too and was dressed in blue. Blue. Jim took three photos, and two were fine, but what came out in the second photo of the set is still talked about today. This image is known as the Solway Firth, or Cumberland, Spaceman. I have this photo for you now, if you'd like to have a little look at this. Before I take a look, yep. that paragraph that you just read yes. rings a bell, like... I may have seen or read about this, this years ago. This is an incredibly famous photo. So let's have it. Yes, I do remember seeing this. Yeah. I think I read, like, how it was, not how it was created or what it might have been in the background as well. Okay, well, we're going to cover that in a minute, but please go ahead with your theories. I mean, it clearly looks like there's a man in the background. Yeah, a little bit Master Chiefy. Yeah, like a pretty much a white suit. Mm-hmm. With a space helmet on. Yeah. The only problem that I have with this mm-hmm. is that if that's a space helmet, his neck has been broken and he's facing <laughs> the complete facing wrong way. Facing backwards, because the arm is one yep. way and the head appears to be facing the other. But then maybe this is a spaceman or a space person from another planet who has an owl owl neck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly where I was going. (laughs) Space owl. (laughs) So you have an explanation for this photo? I can't remember it, but I definitely remember seeing that picture before. And then there might have been a theory as to what it was, but I can't remember if it was a complete explanation or a theory. Okay, I'll cover that in a little bit. But what happened next? After taking the photo to the police, bad move by the way, don't take it to the authorities, take it to us, we will help you. Slash sell it. We'll help. Anyhow, the Cumberland News picked it up and it was around the world pretty much instantly. Templeton was then visited by two men who said they came from the government but they wouldn't show him their ID, (laughs) saying they were only identified by number. The men went with Templeton to where the photo was taken, and when he explained that he hadn't seen the figure in the photo, the men got real pissed off and drove away, leaving Templeton stranded. Templeton, who's since passed away, did not believe that these men were MIBs. The daughter, Elizabeth, doesn't remember much, but doesn't rule out that it was an alien in the photo. Hmm. I'm surprised you didn't comment on her hair in that photo, because it's a proper bowl cut. Looks like Lego hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what I was going to say is, do you reckon that ufologists mm-hmm. have decided to start dressing up in black suits and visiting these people to try and seem like they're authoritative, to try and get close to where things have happened? And they don't actually have ID, but they're just using strong-arm tactics and That's an interesting idea. and stuff like that. I don't know about strong-arm tactics. They might be trying... I, I mean, there's st- lots of UFO groups out there, sort of community ones, who just go to investigate sightings and whatnot. Maybe they dress in suits because lots of people do, and they turn up asking questions and people jump to conclusions about who they are. Have you got any ID? No. You're an MIB! And... Yeah, like you said, they just go off numbers. But there may be some literally dress as MIBs to get that notoriety. Mm. Like, all oh, the MIBs visited me, which means that it kind of legitimises the, yeah. the incident a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Moving on to 1967, let me introduce you to Robert Richardson. Robert was driving at night and as he approached a bend in the road he noticed an object in front of him richardson slammed on the brakes but as the tires screeched richardson crashed into the object the object disappeared the police turned up but could only find richardson's skid marks the ones on the road or the ones in his pants not clear possibly both so he crashes into the object. Is yep. there damage to his car? Reportedly, yes. Do you have the report? So I've got a little bit more that we are going to cover momentarily. Okay. Any blood at the scene? Nope. Hmm. Is it quite possible that he just crashed into something that was much bigger than his vehicle and then that vehicle just drove off? Possible. Something much bigger like a craft? No, just something much bigger like a lorry. Every single one of these little stories we've covered so far, (laughs) you'd be like, well, that's bullshit. Is it possible that this happened? Is it possible that that happened instead? Is it not my job to do that? No, because you (laughs) say that's me. (laughs) Okay, from this point on, I'm fully in. (laughs) (laughs) Richardson returned to the scene and to his surprise found a chunk of metal which could be from the unidentified object he hit wow i knew you were gonna do that (laughs) richardson did the smart thing and contacted the aerial phenomena research organization richardson is a smart boy (laughs) to let them know of the collision. Three days later, either two or three men turned up at Richardson's door, depending on which account you read. The men were dressed in black, asked questions for 10 minutes, then left. Easy, right? A week later, another two men in black turned up to visit Richardson. These men demanded the metal lump. Richardson said that it had been sent off for analysis, to which the men threatened Richardson's wife, saying, If you want your wife to stay as pretty as she is, then you'd better get the metal back. Richardson gave them the metal. That's not a nice thing to do from these MIBs. 
He should have given them the wife, kept the evidence. And he gave them the metal. Yeah. Okay, fuck this charade. Whoa! What? I thought he didn't have the metal. What, because he told them at first? Yeah. Well, he's lying to he them. He was clearly he lying. Yeah. And, and they, they called bullshit on him. They were like, let's use these strong arm tactics. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they threatened his wife. Yeah, pretty see, much. See your pretty little wife over there? Yeah. We're going to mibber. Didn't even say anything. I reckon they don't even said that line. <laughs> and they just went, see your pretty little see wife. See your pretty little wife over there? And he just gave him a head nod. <laughs> he was like, he was like oh, you can have I'll the metal. I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. <laughs> I'd ask what they wanted to do with them, what they wanted the metal for. Mm-hmm. And then... Could have called the police. I'd be like, how much do you want for it? See my pretty little wife there. <laughs> and give her a head nod. She comes out of a baseball bat, kneecaps him. <laughs> so how much was it you want for this metal? I gotta fuck these mibs up, son. Uh, I'm just really confused there. You're asking them how much they wanted. How much they wanted. So for like the you're metal. trying to pay them for the metal that no. you've already got. No. They're gonna pay me for the metal. How much is it worth to them is what I meant. Yeah, uh, okay. that sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> I, get I was what getting you more now. and more confused every time you said it and you like double downed on it. And I was thinking, <laughs> what? Am I being silly here? <laughs> oh, I've barely had one drink. How much is it worth to them is what I meant. Yeah, yeah. You see my pretty little wife. And I want a second. Them. That's a threatening her. So you're taking on the MIBs. They threaten my wife. Eh. Don't play that shit. <laughs> In 1976, Dr. Herbert Hopkins, a physician, yes, a good honourable doctor, was home alone Questionable. on September the 11th, 1976, looking into a recent UFO incident, which was a passion of his. That night, the New Jersey UFO organisation telephoned, asking to come and chat about Hopkins' research. Hopkins agreed, and as he walked across his room to look out of the window, a stranger was walking up the steps to Hopkins' apartment. That was quick. The visitor was dressed in all black except for a white buttoned shirt, was bald and pale. When I say bald, I don't just mean his head. He had no eyebrows too. The chap had a robotic voice and the family dog did not like the man. The man asked questions about the UFO case, but things got stranger. The mysterious stranger told Dr. Hopkins there were two pennies in Hopkins' pocket. There were. The man asked Dr. Hopkins to take one of the pennies and to stare at the penny he was holding. The copper penny turned silver. Then it dematerialised. The stranger told Hopkins that the penny would never be on this plane again. He then asked Hopkins if he knew of Barney Hill, the famous abductee who had died recently. The stranger told Hopkins that Hill no longer had a heart like Hopkins no longer had a penny. <laughs> then told Hopkins to destroy all of his UFO research. Hopkins did it. The New Jersey UFO organisation never existed. They love strong-arming people, don't they? That was real strong-arm. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the penny disappear. <laughs> that person 
has a heart like you've got that penny. <laughs> Poof. Uh, he mibbed him. Well, strong mib. We know what we think about the whole Betty and Barney Hill situation, so... Yeah, definitely true. And Romanik has the dress. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> well, so... Yes? The family dog didn't like this man. Yeah. Now, I have a theory about why dogs seem to react to a mib which has no hair and no eyebrows. Right. Is it because he has no fucking hair and no eyebrows? <laughs> what? <laughs> like... They're used to seeing facial expressions on people. Mm-hmm. So they're used to seeing people with eyebrows. So seeing one without trips them out, and they're like, what the fuck is that? So it's like a human, but not a human to them. Okay, so dogs come across lots of bald people and don't hate every bald person, but you're no. saying the lack of com- eyebrows... Yeah, it's just tripping mm-hmm. them out. Maybe. even on a bald person, you can still see the eyebrows. Let's shave your eyebrows and test... Well, for science <laughs> that's fine we can so, put a cap on but regardless yours. they see people with bald heads and don't do anything so it's the eyebrows we need to focus on here that is true so let's just shave your eyebrows and no. then when you raise your eyebrows at a dog nothing will raise see what you this is wrong this is why you shouldn't be testing on me because i don't like dogs anyway you love dogs dogs <laughs> love you now let's shave your eyebrows and see how they react there is one dog that you have loved. Yeah. Now we move on to 1979. Paul Bennywitz was an electronics entrepreneur in New Mexico. Mr. Bennywitz had him some amateur equipment and begun receiving peculiar transmissions. Next, Bennywitz begun seeing strange lights outside. Bennywitz did the smart thing and contacted the Air Force. Uh Uh-uh. Wrong. Richard Doty, Air Force Special Investigations Officer, visited Bennywitz and explained that they were really interested in Bennywitz's findings. Bennywitz went deeper down that rabbit hole and was now convinced that he was receiving alien signals from a UFO base he called Dulce Base a human UFO shared facility near New Mexico. By 1982, Benowitz had begun talking to the precursor to UFO Twitter and Benowitz was interpreting alien language in the recordings he was making. News spread. Benowitz was also an amateur pilot. Next, he began spotting crashed alien crafts nearby. That was the last straw. Benowitz knew that an invasion was incoming. I'm not going to lie. Yes? I got lost on half of that. Right. And the reason I got lost... Yeah. ...is every time you said Bennywitz... Yeah. ...I kept thinking Lemmy Winks. Do you reckon that someone was fucking with him? Like, someone had bought some equipment... <laughs> and we just sat over the road in their flat, just what trying you stuff. What would say such a thing? Because <laughs> it's something we would do. Oh, no, I don't think we'd go um, quite this hard. And then when he started, like, replying and stuff like that, they like, oh, let's see how far we can take this. And they started flashing lights outside and stuff like that. I reckon he's been had, 
mm. by people, or he's literally somehow got into a frequency from another country and just doesn't understand the language that's being said and just interprets it as another country. Alien. You say I do. <laughs> What about the same country? <laughs> so across the road. <laughs> so it turns out Bennewitz lived by Kirtland Air Force Base. Rumour has it that there may have been underground nuclear missiles at this base and nearby. And this was during the Cold War. The Air Force realised that Bennewitz had been unknowingly listening in on them. Unfortunately... <laughs> They used this to their advantage. The Air Force gave Benny Witz the computer software that interpreted the signals he was hearing, and they also planted props for Benny Witz to discover. <laughs> Think about it. What a brilliant cover-up. It puts the locals off the scent of your nukes, but also it makes your opposition, who obviously get wind of this, think that you may have alien technology. It's a double cover-up. If you're testing new military tech, Benowitz got deep 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 as we said but unfortunately when i say deep i mean too deep in 1988 shortly after bennywitz wrote a paper called project beta outlining how the ufo base may be successfully attacked bennywitz's family admitted him to a psychiatric facility apparently and sadly bennywitz had been admitted on at least three occasions after suffering severe delusional paranoia and it's been suggested that Doty and his colleagues fed false information to Bennywitz, contributing to his spiral into paranoia. Okay, that's shit. Yeah, like, Bennywitz sadly passed away in 2003. Were they aware of what had happened to Bennywitz at the time? It's not entirely clear, but you'd imagine if they're feeding false information, they must have done their research, mustn't they? And possibly it might have been in the news that um, the local guy had been admitted or something like yeah, that but and at at the risk of placing ourselves at risk from the u.s government we know the u.s government has experimented on their population before and done some real shady shit mm. like unknowingly trialing drugs on people and whatnot indeed they have but it's also not to say just them it's quite possible a lot of other yeah, countries have possible we just don't even our own yeah we just don't know about it so if anything happens to us we uh, just disappear all of a sudden. We've been mibbed. <laughs> We've been mibbed. Look for me. <laughs> Save me. Granville can take care of himself. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. No. Right, so next part. <laughs> no. Doty, as a potential government operative covering this up, is he an MIB? No. Arguments against? Being a former MIB, yes, I cannot specify why I think not. <laughs> You're just going with the sceptical argument without any justification. I think the MIBs operate at levels way above the uh, military. Okay, there's been... And Sorry, go on. I don't think... I think even a low-level MIB is just looking at that and going, 
Fuck off, do it yourself. So this has been investigated a lot. I can't remember whether I put this in the notes or not, but it's believed that he is basically a low-level government operative on that sort of scale who do that sort of shady shit. Oh, yeah, he might be, but I don't think he's a MIB. Well, that's that's the argument. That's the MIB department. He's real ground level. No, I think he's below it. <laughs> that I'll tell you what, this could have been his initiation. This could have been his assignment to see if he got into the MIB. Well, I'm not going to disclose what mine was. Do you reckon? I mean, it's a little bit more intense. But than... I got through the door. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't ask where the toilets are. You'll be safe. Right. Just quickly, in 1980. Oh, God. How do I pronounce this? Peter Roycevich was in a library reading a UFO book when a peculiar pale man in a black suit sat down next to him and asked him about his opinion on flying saucers. Peter said that he wasn't really interested and the stranger became somewhat agitated. The man eventually left Peter alone. Peter thinks that the man was testing to make sure he didn't know anything or seek to share a passion for UFOs with others. I think a man just sat next to him in a suit and just <laughs> a grumpy asked, man. Yeah, saw the book that he was reading and was like, oh, I can get into a conversation with this guy. And then the guy was like, nah. Was like, I think it's probably just all bullshit, mate. And he was like, uh, yeah. you don't agree with me. Grr. And then he just stormed off. Your opinion is invalid. Moving on to some analysis. To this day, folks aren't sure how much of what Doty says is true regarding his role and Benewitz. Some is, without doubt. But where is that line drawn? Mark Pilkington, author of the book Mirage Men, does believe that Doty was lower down on a chain that went right to the top of the government. So basically, we know that there are shady government organisations who may screw with people for military benefit if not to cover up UFOs. Or maybe it's both. I mean, he's been a bit vague there, hasn't he, Mr Pilkington? Well, I mean, I've summarised in about three lines of text... A, a large book. <laughs> he may not have been that vague. Okay. <laughs> You've made Mr. Pilkington seem rather vague. I, I may have. I may have unrepresented his views there. By saying, does believe that he was on, he was lower down yeah. on a chain that went right to the top of the government. Yeah. That's a fair summary, I feel. You could work, essentially... If you work at the post office, are you low yeah. down on a chain yes. that goes right to the top of yes, the government? Yes, you are. <laughs> You could be a postie. You could work at the DVLA and be like low down on the chain. Mm-hmm. You could be a cleaner at these places. Oh, and you'd be low down. I'm not sure chain. about that one because do they have their own cleaners or do they hire contractors to clean? In my experience of government buildings, it's usually external agencies that do that bit. Sorry, cleaners. How did you know that was the type of cleaner I was talking about? What type of cleaner are you talking about? <laughs> that type of cleaner. Because essentially, wouldn't they be freelance? But when you're working, you're on that government chain. You might be low down. The government don't give a shit about you. They soon probably will if you're doing shit like that, though. <laughs> True. Unfortunately, looking at the first case we covered... Dahl and his supervisor, Chrisman, later admitted that the 1946 story was a hoax. 
1949 government report stated that Dahl and Chrisman reached out to a Chicago magazine to sell their story. The editor contacted Kenneth Arnold, hoping Arnold could support the claims following his sighting. Arnold is said to have summoned two officers of Army A2 Intelligence to aid in the investigation of Dahl and Chrisman's claim. <laughs> the two officers visited and after leaving in their B-25 plane the following day, the plane caught fire and crashed. Both officers passed away. R.I.P. I've read the government report outlining this, and it's widely available online. Common perception is that the plane was shot down due to the two officers having in their possession some of the alien debris. Unfortunately, the report outlined the following, and I quote, Later under questioning, Chrisman and Dahl broke and admitted that the fragments they had produced were really unusual rock formations found on Maury Island. The officers did not have debris and the crash was due to a genuine fire. So the incident was faked, but was the crash really an accident? Now. Yes? Was it really fake? Was it really a hoax? Did they actually have stuff and they're using the, the line that they faked it? To get away with having the that would be a good cover-up, wouldn't it? Stuff, definite fake story, fragment, tragic accident. Mm. Mm. If you were going to cover all that up, I can't think of a better way to do so. No. Whereas before, I thought it was a hoax and just bullshit. Mm. Uh, this has kind of swayed me <laughs> back in the other direction. Because that's exactly what you would do. I, I love this. I, I tell you it's real and you're like, it's bullshit, it's fake. I tell you it's fake and you're like, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what Kenneth Arnold's like real job was. Pilot? But this motherfucker's got some sway. But he was really reputable, wasn't he? He was. But still, if he just goes, yeah, excuse me, can I just take two army investigators just to go and sort out this? And then just like, here you go. Well, he, he took it mainstream, baby. <laughs> the plot thickens further. Ray Palmer, the Chicago magazine editor who Dahl reported his story to, connected some dots between this imaginary man who visited Dahl and three men who visited Albert K. Bender in 1953. Bender later wrote his own 1962 book called Flying Saucers and the Free Men. This may have contributed towards the popular images of men in black. Bender's account itself has its detractors. Firstly, there's no proof. But of course, there wouldn't be. MIBs are careful. A more worrying factor is that Bender's magazine was actually losing money. This could just be an excuse to wrap it up with publicity for future endeavours. Bender would also go on to write a book on the accounts, as I say, theorising as to whether his visitors were actually aliens. Profit. What you're seeing here, though, is a trend. With each account, for a while, the abilities get more and more. The appearance goes from men in black suits to hairless floating folk. I think those ones can be ruled out. The accounts we need to listen to are the more human ones. The bastards. <laughs> what? Yeah, I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> <That end bit. laughs>
Uh, right. <laughs> Until you said yeah. that this guy was losing money, yeah. I couldn't put a reason as to why he would be looking um, agitated and having migraines yeah. and stuff like that. Uh-huh. He's losing money. Stressful, yeah. Not only stressful, did he borrow that money? Is he losing his house? Mm, good question. It? Did he go to a loan shark? Did they uh, say that they were going to take his kneecaps if yeah, he yeah. didn't pay the money? Therefore, he's going to start becoming more and more disheveled, disheveled, distant. Tetchy. And, uh, yeah, good call. Kind of paranoid the way his workers said he was. I think I was less inclined to believe his story than the others, personally. I mean, annoyingly, the first one... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, the first one's a hoax. (laughs) And also, like you said, um, they seem to... More and more seems to be happening with the men in black, as if they're getting powers. it's, It's getting a little bit more extreme, then suddenly they're the aliens. Rather than just being men in suits. But we've got more coming up. Maybe the military just decided that they wanted to have a section of their mm-hmm. on the, of their army, would you say, or investigators dress a certain way. I think that would make sense. Usually there's standard uniforms in lots of... Mm-hmm. I mean, the police have standard uniforms. And they were like... Nurses, doctors. No, it's black suit, black tie, shoes, shiny, black. The last suit you'll ever wear. And you don't have... Any form of identification, because then people can trace it back to us. Uh-huh. Back to you, back to your family. So, like you said, the last suit you'll ever wear. Looking at the other cases for falsities, Templeton's Cumberland Spaceman photo is theorised to be overexposed. It's said that maybe it's his wife in the second photo, and the overexposure turned her dress from blue to white. I'm genuinely not sure if that explains why the daughter looks fine, but it's the only explanation out there, though it may explain her shirt. With the camera used, apparently you'd only see about 70% of the shot in the viewfinder, which is why Templeton wouldn't have seen his wife in the shot when taking it. Robert Richardson, it's a short case repeated a lot with little details changing. It isn't really possible to verify any of it. Herbert Hopkins, meanwhile, as we said, it's suspicious that Hopkins told his story at all, and Hopkins was a known UFO fanatic, I guess. Benowitz's tale is unfortunately true, but we don't know how far the truth as told by Doty goes. I guess it's hard to believe when you don't really know these people we are discussing. So I have another account to tell you of from 2001. This account involves Dan fucking Aykroyd. Oh, now you're just name dropping. You're dropping <laughs> bombs. Oh. Big Dan Ack. Yeah, we're going to get into Dan Aykroyd and see if he's been mibbed. Oh. Dan Aykroyd. You didn't hear a thing I said there other than Dan Aykroyd, did you? The whole... <laughs> I said you dropped a bomb. It's a mushroom cloud. That mushroom cloud is just full of Dan Aykroyd. You don't even know what it's going to be yet. No. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm waiting up if it's true or not. But <laughs> Dan I'm already trying to figure it out. Wow. Dan Aykroyd's a pretty honest guy, isn't he? Uh, He's... We'll, we'll see. 
He's renowned for being blunt and to the point, isn't he? Was and Dan Aykroyd a party animal? Did he take loads of drugs back? No, in his, uh, not to my knowledge. He's um, rumoured to be very high-functioning autistic, isn't he? That's not to say that he doesn't do drugs or whatnot. I don't really know about his background and party days, but... We're going to find out that Dan Aykroyd's a mib. <laughs> in 2001, Dan Aykroyd was making a UFO show called Out There for Sci-Fi and had two ufologists guests for an episode with him. I'll let Dan Aykroyd tell you about this one himself. Hello, Dan, buddy. Take it away. I was outside and Britney Spears called me because she wanted to, me to appear on Saturday Night Live with her. And so I picked up, I was outside having a cigarette, the phone rang. Uh, I, I, oh, Britney, how you doing? Oh, sure, of course I will. I turned away like this. I turned back and there was a black Ford across the road, a black Ford sedan. And I, I was trying to look at the plate, and the plate seemed kind of like fuzzy, and I was, you know, definitely a police car. And two guys were there, and a big, big, tall guy got out of the back seat. And he stood in the street on, um, on 42nd Street, it was. We, we were at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue. And he looked right at me. And literally, I mean, I was on the phone. Hey, oh, sure, of course I'd like for the show. Saw the Ford, went back like this, turned back like a half second later, and it was gone. And that car did not go past me. It did not make a U-turn because I would have seen 42nd Street. I would have seen that thing take a U-turn and go away. That car vanished. That car was a cloaked vehicle of some type. And whether this was like a warning to me because the guy got out of the backseat gave me a real dirty look. That car vanished. I know what I saw. And, uh, you know, I, I, it, was, it was just this fast. It was, oh, hi, Brittany. Sure. Oh, of course. I'd love to. God gives me a dirty look. Oh, well, sure. Car gone. That's what happened. And... Um, then two hours later, uh, we were told we were not to continue taping and the show was cancelled and none of them would air. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Was that, uh, was that an MIB experience? You know, black helicopters, uh, you know, military uh, abductions that happen. Sometimes people are taken and they talk about then being visited by, you know, military personnel and debriefed about their abduction. Was it, you know, was it... Uh, a technology associated with some of these beings that are visiting that wanted to warn me off or that wanted to give me verification that I was on the right track. I don't know. But I do know I, I did I did turn back a second later and I, you know, it takes so long for an automobile accelerating from zero to 40 miles an hour to reach the corner of 8th Avenue and 42nd Street going past me and then pulling a U-turn and going out towards Times Square, I would have seen that car. And I looked around, I and mean, I was looking for that, and it was gone. So, um, I, I don't know. The tapes exist. I have them. We're going to try to repackage them. We might put them out on DVD. Pretty serious about it, isn't he? <sighs> he is. He knows what he saw. I've got a few questions. Right. He, he says that he was on the phone. He quickly turns, yep. turns back, sees the truck there. Yeah. Peripheral vision, yep. And turns... Turns back. Yeah. But he's staring up at this point. He sees them get out and he sees them stare him down. And then he turns back and then turns back again and they're gone. Mm -hmm. The question is... How big is why, his dick? <laughs> why did it take them so long to get out of the vehicle? Did, but did, didn't take them that long to disappear? Because he thinks they might have had some sort of cloaking device or slipped into another 
space time. He's not sure. He just knows what he saw. Do you know what I think? Help the man out. Do you know what I think? What do you think? What year was this? 2001? 2001. I think they were testing a electronic car. A fucking hybrid, silent, those horrible yeah, silent... Yeah, remember this is 42nd Street. It's a real busy street. Bastards. Right. And they parked up mm-hmm. and they looked at him and they fucked off. I think that was done by the um, company that's doing whatever show this was. And that was all just a thing to, like, I don't know, hype up the show, something like that. But then the show was cancelled straight after. It was. But shows get cancelled. Okay, I'm going to come back to that point in a second. I think that was done beforehand. It was done just to give a little bit more legitimacy to what Mr. Ackroyd's yeah. saying. And then, like we said, shows get cancelled. Maybe they ran a couple of the pilot to the target audience and they didn't like it. And they were like, right. yeah, we're not wasting the rest of the money on mm-hmm. this show. Canned it. Or that happened after. And then he was like, maybe we're going to put this out and package it and put it out on DVD. Maybe that's where they're trying to get the money from. Right. Slightly off topic, Dan Aykroyd has actually seen four UFOs in his time too. But, on topic, the official word is that this show was cancelled and never aired due to creative differences, but they'd made 26 episodes. 26. Surely you'd know by then if there were differences and air at least a season. 26. That's more than a bloody season's worth, surely. Uh, it is. But maybe the differences were between the production company and the station that were going to air it. Well, who gives a shit? They could have released them straight to DVD. They've made 26 of them. Maybe production have... company's cool if the station doesn't agree with Do it. Do we know that they haven't? They hadn't at the time I researched it. <laughs> Under the rug. Whoosh, never to be seen again. After that bombshell, I have one more to present to you, and I've saved this until last, firstly because it happened in 2008, and secondly, because this one has legitimate evidence. Shane Savar, manager of a hotel in Niagara Falls, and a security guard, witnessed a UFO. The two reported the sighting, and the Aeronaut Phenomenon investigations team were going to investigate. However... Two gentlemen turned up instead. These two gentlemen identified themselves as members of the government and were looking for Savar and the security guard who weren't in at that moment. These men were tall, wore black suits and black hats and, more disturbingly, the men had no eyebrows or eyelashes. Again. So they can't be distinguished. Hmm. Good idea. More disturbingly still, both men had identical faces. (laughs) So they can't be distinguished. (laughs) Apparently, they pestered staff for hours for info, asking questions and refusing to leave. (sighs) Again, it could just be two people in black suits. With no Um, eyebrows, no eyelashes. Also, that leaves no DNA potentially from hair. That is true. No hair follicles, mm-hmm. unless a nostril hair gets out. All they've got to do is not touch anything and not sweat on anything. And they're good. And they're clear. Mm-mm-mm. 
identical faces could be twins yeah. or could just have similar facial structures. Maybe they're bred like stormtroopers. <laughs> cloned i guess is the right term but (laughs) all look the same cut all the hair off there's an army of these bastards out there what i'm actually waiting for here is this so-called evidence now son (laughs) i'm about to show you a photo from the hotel camera security footage of these chaps entering before i do be warned this photo could place you at risk No further footage has been released of these gentlemen anywhere in the hotel. They can't even be evidence to have ever left. This is the only evidence that they even existed. The only legit photographic evidence of men in black. Here we go. (laughs) Men in black. Uh, So, what we have here is two mibs walking into a hotel or in just into a lobby can't say if it's a hotel um jackets they've got coats on they're really long coats i've got a coat like that that i used to wear for like court and stuff did you look like a child wearing your dad's coat (laughs) these two do possibly either that (laughs) or a doorman and their hats so the first one looks quite legit the first guy looks quite big. Um, the coat seems to fit him very well. So does the hat, <laughs> from what you can see. The second one looks like a kid has just put on clothes that are far too big for him. He's standing on some stilts. <laughs> and uh, it's a pretty grainy picture. It's not like CCTV. Really much. Yeah. However, if this is CCTV, why do we have a photo and not video? Video. Is nowhere to be found, son. Uh, I think it could just possibly to be two men that have gone in looking for the guys. And uh, so we have the accounts of hotel employees all saying they were there, but footage showed them entering, and that was it. Never saw them leaving. Yeah, but I think video it footage is all gone. Could have been destroyed just to uh, maybe they took it with them, make it seem more legit. But yeah. On the back, just looks like a kid. It's wearing daddy's clothes. But just to summarise, they're they're both in black shoes, black trousers, black uh, suit, long suit coats. Oh yeah, both coats. Both men in black. Both black ties, black hats. No hair visible. Well, there's no hair visible because they've got a hat on. Well, you the first one at the angle, you can kind of see that there would be an eyebrow, but there doesn't appear to be. But it's not. It you would great. not see an eyebrow from that. Oh, you'd so see an it eyebrow. Looks like he's got that. shades on. Can you see an eyebrow? There we go. Tell you what. <laughs> no, you can't. I rest Tell my case. Tell you what, I can see. If you look really closely at the guy at the front, yeah, I don't know if it's just me, but I can picture. Big bushy eyebrows just below his hat or sunglasses and then a really weird Mr. Miyagi. It's not even Mr. Miyagi, like the old moustache. No, that is just definitely just you. (laughs) (laughs) The man has zero hair. (laughs) I'm going to... uh, You can't edit on here, can I? No. Fuck. Where is our pen when I need it? Well, you can save it and play with it after the episode if you really must. 
You're going to add a moustache, aren't you? I'm going to add what I can see on here at some point and then send it to you. Okay. And that can go up. There are some other accounts I haven't covered today. These include UFO researcher Jack Robinson being stalked by a man in black in 1968 in New Jersey, William Shearer being harassed in Essex in the UK in 1997 after witnessing a UFO four days earlier, Frederick Holliday seeing a man in black whilst looking for Nessie and then returning to Loch Ness the next year and having a heart attack in the exact spot the man in black had been, UFO hunter Brenda Butler being asked to sign agreements not to speak about Rendlesham Forest UFO findings, Paul Miller and his pals seeing a UFO in 1961, which I didn't look at past the title as it sounded like a whole episode could be made out of that one, radio presenter Danny Gordon who gathered information on Wife County UFO sightings until the MIB intervened, which again I haven't delved into as it looked long enough for a whole episode. There are lots of cases. I've brought you a mixture of the most well-known and the most credible, excluding those last two, which we may cover more deeply in the future. We are nearly ready to summarise. Damn, son. This has been a long episode. Yep. Um, We're going deep. Usually I'd have split this into two, but as it's episode 100, I thought, whoop, 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 whoop. Long one. Do you know what? we haven't heard about in any of these cases Will Smith although to be honest no one's gonna know right if they were neuralised but they wouldn't know therefore we wouldn't hear about it that's a very good point <laughs> that that sounds like evidence to me <laughs> um, no one mentioned being neuralised so they've clearly been <laughs> neuralised a lot of them I totally forgot where I was going other than that other than that, um, what I would like to say is these MIBs like to use strong arm tactics. Indeed, <laughs> that's been quite well established through this. Are they classing themselves as the strong arm of the law? <laughs> <laughs> the strong arm of the law above the law. <laughs> now, being former MIBs, there is a lot we cannot say. Indeed, indeed. We can't talk about which one of these are genuine. But... But they're all genuine. I think a lot of these are simply another branch of the government whose uniform happens to be a black suit. It allows them to blend uh, in more. See, but and that, allows them out. That to me out, but. is what the MIBs would be because they're a branch of the government at the top end or above the government in a sense that the rest of the departments don't know about. So that's exactly what it would be. No, I'm saying this is not MIBs. This is another form of the government who are trying to kind of come across as MIBs. So they don't know about the MIBs above them? I think these are just investigators who just happen to wear black suits and they don't take ID because people like Mm. clandestine operations. Do you think the MIBs would be more likely to not take ID or to pose as other services? To not take ID. But surely that would raise more suspicions, would it not? No. Well, to be fair, the MIBs can do whatever the fuck they want because they'll just neuralise them. I mean, I was so close to getting mine. <laughs> so close. You get kicked out on the first day. You're still so close. <laughs> <laughs> so close. 
Alright, I've tried to present this case in chronological order today. We started with Dull's sighting of six donuts on a boat in June 1947. Dull was visited by a man in black. Kenneth Arnold had a couple of officers investigate, and they unfortunately died in a plane crash which started rumours when actually Dull and his supervisor had admitted that it was all a hoax. Allegedly. We then looked at Bender. Bender was responsible for the Space Review magazine until the MIB shut him down. The magazine was losing money and this could have been a money-making scheme. We covered Jim Templeton's Cumberland Spaceman photo from 1964, which may be his wife. In 1967, Richardson crashed his car into a UFO and recovered some metal, but the MIB threatened his wife and took the evidence. Not enough info out there on that one to verify. Dr. Herbert Hopkins was researching UFOs in 1976 when a non-existent UFO organisation asked to visit him. Then we heard the sad tale of Benowitz from 1979 who was sadly manipulated by secretive agencies and ultimately suffered a breakdown. We know this one is at least partially true. We skimmed over Peter Roycevich, who in 1980 was confronted by a weird man in a library about UFOs and got angry. After a bit of analysis, we heard from one day friend of the show, Dan Aykroyd, who in 2001 had his Out There show cancelled following an MIB sighting despite having filmed 26 damn episodes. We mentioned some other cases, but we basically closed on the Niagara Falls Hotel MIB visit with photographic evidence. Do you want to go over anything, good sir? I'm trying to think of another show that has had a lot of episodes done and got cancelled. Cancelled before they've been released. Mm. See, I can think of shows that have had pilot episodes and then got cancelled. Or, pilot, or shows that have had like one season and got cancelled or whatever, but never one that's been ready to go has filmed that many episodes and then the plug's been pulled when it's all done. Do you reckon it's been pulled because they got too close to some actual military secrets? I mean, the two options to me are it got pulled because it got on top of something that they didn't want out there, or it was utter trash. But Dan Aykroyd rarely makes trash. I mean... I can't remember everything Dan Aykroyd has done, but... Ghostbusters, that's all you need to remember. <laughs> the man has a lifetime pass. <laughs> I mean, it could have just been a shit show. But even then, you'd still release it to make money, wouldn't you? Just because something's shit doesn't mean it doesn't Would get it? released. And Aykroyd didn't think it was shit, obviously. Yeah, but it all depends on how much the um, company behind it has to pay to get it out on TV they'd already paid all the money to get it made that's the expensive bit then the TV stations pick it up and show it but then what if no TV stations wanted it I mean some TV station out there there's definitely a station that would have wanted it maybe um, they would have had that if nothing else (laughs) what if the creative differences were that not Aykroyd per se but those that were also producing the show or whatever wanted it to be on certain networks at certain Mm. times and stuff like that but none of them wanted it and the only ones that would have taken it would have been like your um what do they call the free cable like cable access or yeah whatever it is in america or like dave over here 
But although, to be fair, Dave does have some good shows. So like Quest over here <laughs> or TCM movies. One day, one day our podcast is going to be animated by some random person and it'll end up on a channel like that. I really hope so. <laughs> I bloody uh, hope so. But yeah, I, it's not really, I don't know what the creative differences were, but to me that's incredibly bizarre, completely aside from whether I think this one is true or not. I just find that bit really bizarre. So, are you saying that it was aliens? No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right, I guess the question is actually, <laughs> are you saying that the MIB exist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I. So, MIBs. Yeah. I believe that the MIBs exist. And they MIB the shit out of stuff. And... I know for a fact the MIBs exist, <laughs> being a former MIB. We've done some MIBbing in our time. However. We've MIBed together. Do I believe that these specific cases were MIB? Some of them. I don't believe a single one of these cases... You've changed your mind on the... Were, I have, were <laughs> MIB. And absolute... <laughs> trying to think of a strong word. Whoever Doty. Yeah. And whoever got the um Benowitz, whoever contributed to him being put into a psych ward. Absolute bumholes. Absolutely. At that point it's really I was about to say you can't blame his family. No, no. He's obviously deep into the because, rabbit hole yeah, and needed help, I guess. Very deep. And the things he probably would have been going on about, they're just like, sorry, what? Yeah. And especially if he thought there was a incoming war and stuff like that, the people that were fucking with him and feeding him, feeding him false info, absolute yeah. jockeys. Yeah. See, I think we have a... I agree with you on that, but I think we have a difference of opinion in what the MIB are, because to me, that's exactly the kind of things that the MIB are doing, covering up the real stuff and feeding false stuff. On that note... So you're saying the... Uh, well, we've both said the MIB are real. Yeah. I just don't think these I'm cases are I'm not saying that it was MIB, but it was MIB. <laughs> it was MIB, It yo. was MIB. We're MIBed out. We're going to MIB. This file... Obviously, we know that it's true because we did yet didn't work at MIB headquarters for several zero years. But this one, to me, is very interesting. I think that some unlikely accounts have been passed on and exaggerated, and over time the men in black have become the aliens themselves in accounts. But hiding within that, I do also think there are secretive government agencies, and we know from Doty's account that these agencies do exist to protect government secrets. So are the men in black aliens? No. Do the men in black exist in all but name? Hell yeah! I do believe, I feel like I actually know that these services exist. If UFOs or UAPs or even secret military technology exist, I think these people are there to cover it up. So not aliens, but involved in aliens. Tell the world, but also keep it secret, people. Tell you what, yeah. I'm surprised that there's one story you haven't included in here. Yes. And that is the one of John Fun. 
because if you remember, he was visited by two Mibs. Were these the ones that walked through the gate? Yeah. (laughs) So we've mentioned Mibs in passing a couple of times, and I excluded those ones because we've mentioned them previously, Uh, and also because this episode is going to be like an hour and a half. I thought you were just going to put it in the little bit where you said there's other ones I've not included. No, no, I skimmed past the ones we've sort of touched upon. Okay, fair news. Fair Mib. Fair Mib. (laughs) (laughs) We need to decide what mibbing something means at some point. We do. But not today, because that's today's show, folks. Thank you, one and all, for listening to But It Was Aliens. Hopefully, you help us tell the world about their Mib so that we can keep the secret. As we close down here today, I just want to say, wow. Wow! Awesome. Wow. Episode 100. That's basically two years of our lives we've put into this and that some of you have put into listening. I don't really stop to think about that, but it is absolutely bonkers. On that note, if you yourself are absolutely bonkers and like what we do, we have a Patreon up and running whereby we post monthly side probes. Episodes where we explore more widely paranormal cases rather than just the extraterrestrial. Head over to patreon.com forward slash but it was aliens or check the episode notes today for a link to head over there and side probe with us. Thank you again and until next time. If you identify a UFO and name it unidentified, is it still a UFO? The truth is up there. Hash tag.